Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to church. If it's your first time, it's great to see you, and you're so welcomed here. Oh, thanks, Hannah. Brilliant. Brilliant stuff. So, yeah, as Hannah said, we are into our third week of Jonah, and for some people, it might be like, week three, I thought Jonah finished after the big fish. Um, but f- we'll explore more of that. We'll kind of, in this kind of time together, we'll look at some of the times in Jonah where actually it's more than just a fish. It's more than just one man and a fish's story. We'll look at how God rescues people, how God changes lives and transforms lives together as well. But if you haven't caught up in the last two weeks, I'd encourage you to go back and watch week one and week two of our series of Jonah. James and Emily both brought amazing words. Week one, James looked at how we run away from God and why we run away from the calling he gives us. And last week, Emily looks at what are our idols? Why do we run away from God? But brought it all together in the amazing good news that you are loved, that you are seen, and that you are known by God. So go back and catch up on those as well. And this morning, yeah, I have the privilege of talking about week three, chapter three of Jonah. And, you know, we've mentioned the football a few times. So I expect to hear some cheering celebration maybe in the room, not because of what I'm saying, but because of some football results. So um, if you are following it on your phone, just like keep it down to the side, Lou, like no one can see it. And don't give too much away because I want to know what the second half is. I want to watch that. Um, uh, This is also your chance to quickly do a runner. If you're like, oh, I forgot the football was on. I kind of want to go and watch it. This is now your opportunity to quickly get up and run to go somewhere and watch it. So make the most of that if you need to. Um, but before we dive in, should we pray together? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you speak to it through us. Lord, I thank you that you reveal yourself to it, through it to us today, Lord. And Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you... Would you touch our hearts this morning through what you've got to teach us, Lord? Holy Spirit, we pray, fill this room, Lord. Lord, we give you all the glory through your word today, Jesus. Amen. And I think it's safe to say that most people have heard about the book of Jonah, even if you grew up going to church or if you didn't grow up going to church. I think most people, it's safe to say that they know the book of Jonah. Uh, I didn't start going to church until I was 18. And I think if you asked 14, 13-year-old Alex, what's this book about Jonah? I think I'd probably be able to give you some form of answer. I think I'd be able to do some guy called Jonah who ran away from something, got eaten by a fish or something weird, that spat him out, and then it was all good. And even if you've been going to church for a long time, that might be your overview of Jonah. It's about this guy who was eaten by a fish. And that is true. That is in the story of Jonah. And that's one of the issues sometimes with how we come to the Bible. That's one of the issues, that we come to the Bible already knowing, thinking we know what the story is about. Sometimes stories in the Bible are already in popular culture's imagination. And that can be through films, that can be through children's books or children's show. We have this kind of understanding of, oh, well, I think I know what that's about already. And that's good that it's out there in the mass media, it's out there for people to hear. But it also means we come pre-programmed to what we think it's going to say. We've come pre-programmed. And that also means we're, quickly, we're ready to quickly dismiss it because we know what it means. We're quickly ready to turn the page because, oh, I know the story of Jonah. It's about this guy. Don't need to read it into detail. But we miss so much of what God is trying to teach us. We miss the depth and the detail and the amazing way God has crafted this book to be. We miss those finer details. And I'm guilty for doing this. It wasn't until I sat down and looked and took the time to study Jonah 
And there's so much more to it than just a fish. Tim Mackey, who's a professor in biblical studies, and if you ever listen to the Bible Project podcast or Exploring My Strange Bible, they're great places to go to learn more about the Bible. Um, He says that part of learning to read the Bible is both unlearning what we already know and relearning what the texts actually have to say to us. So here's what we usually think about Jonah. We think it's a simple story. We think it's all about one guy and Jonah and that the story of Jonah finishes when he's rescued from the fish. And if that's the case, chapter two was last week. Jonah was rescued from the fish and there's no point of me or Lizzie being here next week. There's still two more chapters to go. And some of you are like, wait, I thought we had finished. There's still two more chapters to go for Jonah. Yeah, that's right. I know, right? There's still more of Jonah than just that. So what we've got to not do is get trapped by the fish. Don't get trapped by the fish when we look at Jonah. Read past the fish and you'll see that this book opens up to a whole new world. There's so much depth and meaning to it. You'll see this book addresses so many different areas of our lives. It addresses racism, nationalism, our call to mission, our disobedience and struggles, and our, and our, ability, our inability to obey God, and many more, just in one and a half pages of most of our Bibles. And I also think it's great we're doing the Old Testament for a change. Anyone like the Old Testament? A few hands, not many people, many people. Oh, the Old Testament, that's a bit tricky at times, isn't it? And... Again, hold my hands up to, I probably don't read the Old Testament as much as I should do. But every year, New Year comes around, and I'm like, right, New Year, Bible in a year, let's go. This year for me, going to read the Psalms and the Proverbs, going to read the New Testament. This year, I'm going to nail the Old Testament. Open it up, express or standard version. I'm feeling bold, standard version. Let's go, Old Testament this year. Start off in January, going well. Psalm, New Testament, bish, bash, bosh. Genesis, I'm feeling confident, I've got this. Next month, Exodus, all right, still going. Leviticus, oh gosh, here we go. Numbers, oh, we're we're waiting for this. Then I go, you know what, next year's the year for the Old Testament. Next year's the year, I'm going to nail the Old Testament. Next year is my year for the Old Testament. But reading Jonah, the Old Testament isn't irrelevant. It isn't boring. There's so much to learn through it. We see Jesus' story throughout every single page in the Old Testament. There's so much to it. And in his life, in his ministry, he constantly quoted back to the Old Testament. So to learn more about Jesus, to learn more about his character when he says these things where he's learning about the Old Testament, we need to be in it. Because by being in the Old Testament, we grow closer to Jesus and we grow closer to what he's saying as well. So if you've got a Bible, let's turn to Jonah 3. If you've got your Bible app, open it up. Uh, There's some Bibles on the pillars, I think, as well, so grab one of those. If not, it's going to come up on the screen behind me as well. And as we read Jonah 3, with those details in mind that actually there's more to a fish, I want us to think about a few different things. I want us to think about, are there any similarities in what we already know from Jonah 1 and 2 to what we're about to to read in chapter 3? So, chapter 3 goes like this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I gave you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Well done, Jonah. You've done it. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 
The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So did you notice any parallels between Jonah 3 and Jonah 1 and 2? If not, we're going to get a little bit geeky, a little bit geeky, a little bit Bible nerdy now. You see, Jonah is split into two scenes almost. You've got scene one, which is Jonah, pagans, and the sea. And you've got scene two, which is Jonah, pagans, and the city. In scene one, Jonah is given a command and he failed to obey it. Scene two, he's given a command and he obeys it. And in Timothy Keller's book, the prodigal prophet, he shows us this pattern. And you can see here in Jonah and God's word, we've got scene one and scene two. In chapter one, verse one, God's word comes to Jonah. Chapter three, verse one, God's words come to Jonah. And there's this pattern all throughout Jonah of chapter one mirroring chapter three. And it just shows how wonderfully created, how ingeniously and artfully created this book is. And then also the rest of it, Jonah and God's words, God's world as well. Throughout the chapter 3 and chapter 1, we see these more, the same patterns. The word of warning, the word of warning, the response of the pagans, the response of the pagans, the response of the pagan leaders, and then ultimately how the pagans respond better than Jonah. There's this similarity between chapter 1 and chapter 3. So it just shows there's more to this story than just a fish. And both of these scenes also show us how Jonah, a highly religious believer a prophet, relates to those who are racially and religiously different from him. Despite Jonah's failings in loving these people who are different to him, despite Jonah's disdain for the pagans, God works through him still to show them his love, his grace, and his, mo- and his mercy. Timothy Keller puts it like this in his book. He says, The book of Jonah yields many insights about God's love for societies and people beyond the community of believers. In our world, we see people tearing each other apart. We see wars, we see class divide, we see sexism, we see racism, we see all kinds of isms in our world. But we have the opportunity, when we read the word, when we come into relationship with Jesus, we can become bridge builders, we become peacemakers, and we can become agents for reconciliation in our world. So there's so much to Jonah than just a fish. There's all this other detail in this world. So we're going to look at the first few verses of Jonah. We're going to almost go through three chunks of Jonah today. And we're going to look at the first three verses. And it says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go for it. You see, this is the, can you see now the similarities between chapter one and chapter three? It's 
I don't know. I think it's quite cool. Other, some of you might be like, well, that's, I don't really care, to be honest, Alex. Just get on with what you want to say. I think it's quite cool. Um, but this time, Jonah doesn't flee. He doesn't run away. He obeys God's call. And like us, we have a tendency to run away, as James said in week one. We have a tendency to run away from when God's calling us to do things. But God wants us to be a part of his plan. We're made in the image of God. God wants us to run with him. God wants us to be his people who bring rescue, to bring God's good news to the world. When we're running away from him, we're running thinking we're running to find life, when actually we're running away from the one who gives life. We're running away from the one who has a plan and a purpose for us. We want to pursue our own plans. We want to become our own gods. But the amazing good news that we can learn from Jonah is that God also has a tendency to run after us, to chase us, to interrupt us, to stop our self-destructive patterns and show us his love and rescue us. But he doesn't do it once. He does it again and again and again and again. This is the amazing grace of God. It's the good news of Jesus. See, God could have left Jonah in the belly of the fish. He could have left him there all alone. But God chose to rescue him, to bring him out of the belly, to bring his good news, his love to the Ninevites. And God rescues us. God wants us to be his good news. God wants us to share his good news and his love to the world. We're never too far You're never too far. I'm never too far to be used by God to bring his message of good news to the world. So Jonah, he said yes to God. He obeyed God. Now he's running into the city. And we've heard about Nineveh. Nineveh Nineveh was a very large city. It was a very intimidating place. It would have had huge inner and outer walls. And within within chapter 3, we see within the book of Jonah... Nineveh is described as great in three times. It's great in size, great in power, and also great as in great to God. But remember, Nineveh, the Ninevites, didn't like the Israelites. It would have been a terrifying place to go for Jonah. It would have been horrendous for him to go there. They were violent, they were arrogant, and also in some parts in the palaces, they had these huge stone panels depicting some of their stories, like this. These are some of the actual like stone panels that were taken from Nineveh, taken from Assyria. And these are, you can actually go and see them in the British Museum. I think that's pretty cool. Like there's literal stuff that's happening in the Bible. We can go and see it real life in the British Museum. And these depicted like their military campaigns and some of the stuff that they'd done was horrendous. I was reading up on it and it's like, it's almost too horrible to say how bad they were. But they were also very arrogant. Um, One of the kings of Assyria wrote this about himself. He said, I am the great king, the mighty king, king of the universe, king of Assyria, king of the four regions of the world, king of the universe again, king of Assyria, viceroy of Babylon, and it goes on and on. So they thought they were pretty important. But here comes little old Jonah, the Israelite, on his own into this hostile place. So why does God ask Jonah to go there? Why does Jonah even go? I relate to Jonah, I would flee. I, wouldn't, I would have fleed the second time, to be honest, and probably the third and fourth. But jo- this time Jonah goes. It's because God wants to rescue the lost. God, his heart breaks for those who are lost. His heart breaks for those who don't know him. His heart breaks for those who are far away from him. God sees the evil in Nineveh. And he's like, I've, I don't like what I see. 
I have to do something about this. God doesn't want them to go down this destructive, plan, destructive path of destroying others and themselves. So God is saying, enough is enough. Jonah, you must go. And how God's heart breaks for people, our hearts should also break for the lost, for those who are hurting, for those who are lonely, for those who are in pain and suffering, for those who don't know Jesus yet. Our hearts should break for them. And what God does, he moves us towards the need. He moves us to those people around us. And it could be people in our families. It could be our friends. It could be our neighbors. Or maybe God is calling some of us to go further afield to share his good news. But what God wants to do is use you and me to bring his good news and his hope and his truth to the world. So Jonah's gone. He's obeyed. He's now in Nineveh. And now Jonah shares his incredible lengthy sermon to the Ninevites. Um, So let's read Jonah's amazingly long prophet-type sermon. It says this. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Well done, Jonah. Really good, long sermon. And some of you might think, Alex, I wish your sermon was eight lot words as well. But um, Jonah's sermon isn't that of a typical prophet. To be honest, in this whole book, Jonah doesn't do anything that you would expect a typical prophet to do. Jonah's sermon is only eight words. He doesn't say anything about God. He doesn't tell the people to repent. He doesn't say that God will respond if you repent. And he doesn't intercede for them how you'd expect a prophet to do, like Moses. He does none of these things. Yet, again, despite Jonah's flaws, despite Jonah's attitude, God still moves. Despite my mistakes, despite my disobedience, despite the things I do wrong, God still chooses to use me. He still chooses to use us to be his messengers of grace and salvation to the world. And that's all we hear from Jonah in chapter 4. That's it. Jonah is now done in chapter 4. Chapter 3, sorry. We hear no more of Jonah in this whole, the rest of the chapter. So that makes us go, what else can I learn from this book? It's more than just Jonah. And what we see is the response of the Ninevites. The response of an evil nation turned to God. But I'm going to call it out. It doesn't sound like a very compassionate God. It doesn't sound like a very nice thing God will say, is does it? Nineveh will be overthrown. It doesn't sound very loving. But usually when God announces a message like this, it's the last thing he wants to do. It's like he's staging an intervention. And in the book of Ezekiel, he says, As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the depth of the wicked, but rather they turn from their ways and live. God is staging intervention. He's saying these hard truths, not because he doesn't love them, but because he does. His heart is breaking for them, so he has to go as far as he can to turn them around. And what is the response of the Ninevites? In verse 5, it says, the Ninevites believe God. Revival breaks out across this evil city. Not just one of them or two of them, not just the rich ones or the poorest. Everyone turns to God. They respond by putting on sackcloth, which seems a bit strange to us. 
what does sackcloth mean? Well, it's this kind of physical embodiment of taking off all of your earthly things, all of your earthly possessions, and putting on an uncomfortable, itchy bag, in a sense. It's a sign of humbling yourself. It's a sign of turning around. I'm leaving the rest behind, Lord. I'm now following you. And the original word here in the original language is shuv. When the Israelites turn, they shuv. And what this word means, it literally means to turn around, to change direction. If you're walking this way and you turn, you shuv. This is what this word means. So when we read in this, the, the Ninevites shuved. They turned from everything, all their evil ways. And they turned in a new direction, one with God. And it's the same for us when we come to Jesus. We shuve, we turn. We leave the things of the past behind us. We leave all the things we've done in the past behind us. And we say, God, I'm going with you. But here's again is the irony in this book. What did, the, what did Jonah, the great prophet, the great messenger of God, need to shuve? What happened to him to shuve? God had to send a storm and a fish. But what about the horrible, violent Ninevites? What did they need to shuve? They just needed eight words. So maybe for some of us, and me included, for those who have been walking with Jesus and for, for a long time, maybe sometimes we're quick, too quick to dismiss eight simple words from God encouraging us to shuve and change direction. But we also don't know what's going on in people's lives around us. Maybe all someone needs around us is eight simple words for them to come into a relationship with Jesus. And the way we grow the church here is by people like you. You come in, you meet with Jesus, you see his transformational power, and then you go out and you tell people about Jesus because you know the impact he has it's had on you. And then people come to find Jesus. And here's a challenge for you and me today. Where is God asking you to share a few simple words for someone? Maybe it's, in, you know, you, you know someone, they're having a hard time, and it's like, do you want to go for a coffee? Maybe that's all someone needs to hear. Maybe it's inviting someone along to church. Maybe it's inviting them, inviting them along to Alpha. Or you love football, come along to bridge the gap. There's all kinds of opportunities here for people to find a home, to find a family, to find a community to find love, but ultimately to find the love of Jesus. So Jonah obeyed. He traveled in, he said a few words, then Ninevites said yes, but how does God respond? God responded with compassion, mercy, and love. It said, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. God relents his destruction, but shows them mercy and love. He saw the overwhelming response of the Ninevites. And we have been shown the same compassion, the same mercy, the same love in the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus descended from the throne, from the right hand of God to the right-hand side of a criminal where he died for you and me, where he took on all the things that separate us from God. He took them on himself and rose again three days later, victorious, conquering death, conquering sin, conquering the grave forever, so we may have a relationship with him. 
where he now has gone back up to heaven, sits at the right-hand side of his Father, interceding for you and me, that we may have eternal life with him. You see, God rescues humanity from danger. He rescues us from our broken state to being completely cleansed, completely filled to who we were originally meant to be. And this is what is on offer for us all today. The chance to shoot, the chance to turn around and go, Lord, I'm following you. Your way brings life. Your way brings me life. To run with him, to run with him with everything we have, to share his good news to those around us. God is offering that for us today. God is, wants to rescue us. He also wants to send us out. In God we find a second chance to start again, to turn, to shoot, and go into the world to share his good news.